You know, we're in that time where with graduations and Mother's Day and then Father's Day and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it'll be Fruit Basket Upset for a while. And then hopefully this summer, I think we're going to take a journey through. Um, we don't do it verse by verse, but we're going to take a journey through the book of Jeremiah. And um, it's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating study, character study of, of somebody who really, really serves God no matter what. And uh, so that's where we'll be going this morning. Um, it'll be a little bit different. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we have a, a Cody and Sherry have been talking to me about um, dedicating um, Colton, and so this morning we're actually going to do that. Normally I do that the first part of the service, but today I'm going to change things up a little bit. We're going to do that at the end of the service because I want the service this morning. I want to talk about children, and I want to talk about families. We have a Mother's Day and we honor mothers. We have a Father's Day when we honor fathers. We really don't have a day for kids. Now, I know Christmas and Easter, but those are really about Jesus' birth and his, and his resurrection, all right? Uh, so I, I get what, you know, <laughs> what it ends up being many times. But so this morning, what I thought I would do is kind of tie the whole thing together. And really, let's talk about children. Now, let me give you a warning first before we get going. You need to understand that in 1960s ballpark, we had a cultural shift. And for the first time in the history of our country, and really very few cultures have taken this route, but we did as a a country, we shifted the focus from older people and adults to kids. And really, in the 60s, there was a major shift towards a youth-oriented culture. We're one of the few cultures in the world that emphasizes youth over older people. Most cultures, the older you get, the more revered and respected you are. But in our culture, what has happened is we have made it all about kids. And then you add to it some of the events that have happened within our our culture, and we have really become all about children. And... There's been some good things that have come out of that, but there's been some bad things that have come out of that as well. And unfortunately, one of the things that's happened is we've raised a generation of kids that uh, have grown up believing that you get rewarded for participation and that in, in the world you deserve a whole bunch of stuff that should be given to you. Now, you think about it for a minute. Even McDonald's does this. Remember the old slogan? You deserve a break. Can you imagine going to people in the 50s and saying, Hi, my name's Jim. I want you to know you deserve a break. Where do we get that? But we've got this whole thing where it's become about our rights. And so the idea of self-sacrifice, the idea of self um, that anything for somebody else kind of goes by the wayside because it's more about me than anything else. So we made a shift. So I want to be careful that we understand that. I don't want to go down that road. But I also want to go down a road, though, that says, you know what? Kids are unique and special and a gift, and, and let's understand what the Bible says about them and what the Bible says about our role, our roles as adults. Second group, second issue that I have today before we get started, we have people here who have lost children. Now, most of you have not gotten to know everybody in here. That's one of the problems that we're having right now is, is the, the intimacy of the fellowship, because it's gotten larger, is getting harder. 
But you would be amazed at the number of stories in this building right now of people who have lost children. Um, I want to say at one time I figured out it was, it was like 10% of our congregation has lost or buried a child. So when we talk about children, that brings up a lot of difficulties and, and, and a lot of, of, of tough issues. We also have couples in here who want to have children but can't. So that issue comes to play. We also have people in here who are not married at all and have no children. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot to be said for all of the dynamics that are in the group that we're talking to this morning. So the passage that we're looking at can apply to family. It can apply to culture. It can apply to nations. It can apply to churches. It, it has a lot of broad applications for it. I want to zero in this morning on its application of family and how it relates to us as a church. This morning, that's why I was counting. We had 13 kids up here, 13 little kids. 13 kids we're responsible for. All of us are responsible for. Not just, and we're not talking about the babies that are, that are here that couldn't come up here. 13 of them this morning that we're responsible for. And we want to talk about that. What does that mean? How do we do that? What does that look like? So with that in mind, we're going to go to a passage in the book of Psalm. It was written by Solomon, Psalm chapter 127. Uh, If you've got a Bible, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Here's what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Now remember, it's Old Testament time. In that time, there was a city. It would have walls. People would stand on the walls, or there would be guard towers on the corners, or people would stand outside of the walls. So, and, And you always protected the city because at night, Enemies would come in, so they would close the gates and lock the gates, and then you, they didn't open the gates up till morning, and people would stand watch over it. So that's the analogy that he's using here. And he says, in vain, you rise up early, you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And then talking about God, it says, because again, it's the Lord who's building a house, he grants sleep to those he loves. Going on. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, don't take that too literal. All right? Um, God gave us a small quiver. Held two arrows. That's it. Okay? Wasn't interested in a bigger quiver. All right? Um, you know, but it's the quiver is full. And they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. So this is the passage. This is, we're going to break it down and kind of walk through it. Notice what he says, first of all, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Those of you who know me know that my wife and I like remodeling stuff. We've done three houses. Uh, we're currently in a bathroom remodel right now. You know, the two rooms you never want to do are bathroom and kitchen. And we've done the, we did the kitchen four or five years ago. Now we're in the bathroom. And so in, in my... And it's attached to our, our master bedroom, so you need to understand that all the walls are ripped out. And so I have, we have the bed in the master bathroom and a toilet sitting in the middle of the room. And, you know, that's the way it's going to be for a while. I mean, we're in the middle of a remodel, and you know how those go. A couple of principles that I have learned over the years about remodel. First thing is, as you, whenever you remodel anything, it always takes longer than you think. It, what's that? That's my number two point. It always costs more than you think. 
And what I have also learned is it's always messier than you thought it was going to be. And it always takes more effort and patience than you used to have. You know, I mean, a remodel, and, and some of you know, you've been in remodel projects for years. Uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that, you, you know, you kind of, you will always have a remodel project of something. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it's no different with kids. Haven't figured it out yet. It always takes longer than you think. I'll never forget the people who used to say, hey, when they get 18, it'll be okay. All right, those of you who have, who have kids over 18, is it any easier parenting them? At? I think it's harder after 18 because then you have even less influence, you know, in, in some of those situations. It always costs you more than you thought, didn't you? You know? And some of you now have grandkids, and you've learned that grandkids are more expensive than kids because you buy them all the stuff you would have never bought your kids. It's always messier than you think, isn't it? I mean, raising kids is not, is not easy. I mean, it, it gets messy and complicated. And, you know, we were fortunate. We had two boys. For those of you with girls, God bless you. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine, I'm not saying girls are, are you know, there's always debate. Are they, I think the way it goes is boys are easy and they, or boys are hard and then they get easier. Girls are easy and then it gets harder. And I can't even imagine having a girl and then she starts dating. I, I, I just cannot even imagine uh, that concept. Uh, in my world, because uh, all I know is it would involve a shotgun. That's all I know. Uh, I would let him come in. I'd show him the shotguns and the guns, and I would go, hey, guess what? I just want you to know I'm very good at all these, right? Uh, have her home by 10 or else. Uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you know what I'm talking about here. Here's what he says right off the bat. He says, here's what you need to understand. Unless the Lord builds it, you're spinning your wheels. Unless the Lord builds it, unless God is with you in this process, you know what? You labor in vain. They're spinning your wheels. Let me tell you something. If you haven't figured it out yet, there is a spiritual dynamic that is necessary towards raising kids because at some point, I don't care how lovely and cute you think they are, they're going to frustrate the life out of you. And you're going to need God's grace and patience. And you're going to need a strength that it is physically impossible for you to come up with on your own. Why? Because that's the way kids are. Kids are not, they're not computers that we program. They're individual beings with choices and a will and a temperament. And God wired them certain ways. And all those things can be very frustrating to you. My wife and I tend to be a little OCD. She is more OCD than me. But we are fortunate in that we have one child who was a little OCD. Yeah, a little, exactly. Yes, I love it. My other child, as you know, uh, Mr. Random Child, you know, it was like, okay, Jimmy, we're having this discussion. And whoop, oh, there goes a rabbit. Uh, to try to keep him focused just drove us insane. And, you know, but they were wired differently. 
They were wired differently. And we needed God's help and God's grace and God's strength. Because listen, unless the Lord is in the middle of it, you're spinning your wheels. You're spinning your wheels. You really are. And so it is so important that you're able to go back to the Word of God and say, okay, what does God say? And how does God say we should handle this? And how should we discipline our kids? And how do we instruct our kids? And how do we teach our kids? And how do we do all those things? And then notice what he goes on to say. He said, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He grants sleep to those he loves. This is an interesting little statement in the Bible. Here's basically what he's saying. If you're not careful, you'll spend all your time working and you will drive yourself crazy trying to eat, trying to come up with stuff, staying up late, getting up, putting in all kinds of hours at work to quote-unquote provide for your family. You'll lose sleep and everything else. But if you can handle it right, you will find peace, and you will find you'll be able to put your head on a pillow at night and rest. What happens so many times in families is, guess what? We get things all out of balance, particularly guys. Guys, we have a problem with this. Before you know it, we're putting in more and more hours to make more and more money to give our family more and more things. And the whole time our kids are growing up, and then guess what happened? All of a sudden, we, 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 we get to a point in our life where we look back and say, where did it all go? And we didn't get to enjoy any of it. And then when grandkids come along, we try to make up for that. And it's kind of insane. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, one of the things you need to do is back away and realize what you have in front of you and value and treasure it. A lot of you, like me, you were growing up in a family where love, where if a dad loved the family, then that meant that he worked and provided for the family. But, you know, you could count on one hand the number of times your dad ever showed up to something. Or you could count on one hand the number of times your dad said he loved you. Because he just didn't do that. And the crazy thing is, if we're not careful, that's what we'll start to do. And, and, and Solomon here, wisest guy in the world, says, look, you're not careful. You'll get another rat, rat, that rat race. Don't go there. Understand what a privilege you have to have those kids, those grandkids, or kids around this church, and invest in them. Enjoy what you have. And then he goes on to say this. Children are a heritage or a gift from God, a reward from him. Look, next to your salvation and your spouse, if you have children, it's the greatest gift God could give you. They are an incredible treasure. They can frustrate the life out of you, and they can bring you some of the greatest joy in all the world. But there's not a price tag of stuff on. Those of you who are brokenhearted parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know how much pain they can cause. And those of you who have had the privilege to have kids who have made wise choices and smart decisions, you know what a joy they can bring to your life. You know that. He says here, look, they're a heritage of the Lord. They're a reward. They're, They're this incredible gift. And God says, look, they have a special place in the kingdom of God. In fact, in the story of Jesus, he's teaching, and he's doing all this stuff, and and he's sitting there teaching, and parents are bringing their little children to him to say, bless him, will you touch him, will you bless him? And the disciples get upset, and the disciples start going, look, he doesn't have time for that. He's like, 
he's really busy, like there's a leper in line in front of you, and then there's this guy with a really bad disease after that. And, you know, you're like 50th in line. He doesn't have time for kids. And Jesus went, whoa, stop, back up the truck, bring those little kids. And he looked at his disciples and said, let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is just like this. And you don't hinder anyone from bringing me those kids. In fact, if you do, it would be better that a millstone were hanging around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Let me give you a modern day analogy. Millstone was this great big huge rock that they used to grind grain. Modern day analogy would be this. It would be better to tie a car around your neck and throw you into the ocean. Because God says these kids are incredibly special to me. Um, okay, go, you know me. I like going down rabbit trails once in a while. So let me give you a rabbit trail. Some of you have struggled with the issue of miscarriages. You've tried to have kids, and you maybe God later gave you kids, or, or you didn't, or whatever else. And, and, and some of you have struggled with the issue of miscarriage. I got a question once, and they said, you know, I don't know how many kids I really have because I had like three miscarriages. I'm like, well, they're your children, right? Here's something to think about. Psalm 139 says that before you were even, your parents even thought of you, I have conceived you in the womb. We, as evangelical people, believe that life begins at conception. So here's a question. What happens to those children? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If they're living beings, what happens to them? It's interesting, David, when his child dies, and he, he was a basket case before praying to God that, 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 that something would happen. The, the son finally dies, and God and, and they come to David, and David's okay. And, David's, and they say, we don't get it. When your child was sick, you were a basket case. Now the kid's dead. You're like, okay, we don't get that. And David looked at him and said, no, I've, I've got to go on. He said, you need to understand, he can't come back to me, but I'll go to him. And I would suggest to you that Scripture teaches that children have a very special place in the kingdom of God. And I'd suggest to you that those of you who have gone through those situations and maybe lost a child in a miscarriage or, or something like that, that the reality of it is when you get to heaven, you're going to have a family that you never got to meet. Just something to think about. But he says here, they're a gift. They're a heritage from God. And then notice what his next analogy is. He says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. He uses this arrow analogy, which I think is fascinating. Um, now, Okay, I had Cammie help me out today, Cammie and Randy. And they, I said, can you bring some bow and arrows? I actually looked for one in the store, finally found a place that sold like, because I didn't want to bring dangerous things. These don't look too bad. Uh, so I don't think I can hurt anybody with these. But <laughs> an arrow, this is what we buy in a store today, to hunt with, to shoot, you know, target shooting, whatever you do. A, a typical arrow. Think of what an arrow was like back in that day. What would it have been? It would have been some kind of stick, right? How hard is it to find a straight stick? Harder than you. That's hard. Yeah, you apparently have not been shopping for lumber lately. Um, even when they run it through the thing, you can't get it. They can't get it straight. Uh, yeah, it is. It's that, it's that way. So when he talks about arrows, one of the things that he's saying is, you know what? Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So before he can even shoot that thing, what does he have to do? 
He's got to spend time getting it straight. You know that passage, by the way, in Proverbs where it says um, children are, what's that one everybody quotes about children? Trade up a child and the way he should go, and when he's old, he, should, he will not depart from it. That passage literally has the idea of straighten the crooked stick. Because the idea is that if you're going to take an arrow and you're really going to use an arrow, let's walk through the whole process. What do I have to do? First of all, I'm going to have to get it straight. So if there's a little bump on the wood, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to carve it off or sand it off, and I'm going to have to maybe put it in a, in a press and get it wet and hold it over a fire lit and try to get it straightened out and get it as straight as I can get it. Then what am I going to do with it next? What am I going to do? Help me out. Trenton, you know? Okay, anybody know? I really like this one. But I'm not going to use it. Uh, <laughs> I hurt some. I hurt somebody with that puppy. Okay, so what am I going to do next? I got my arrow, I got my bow. What do I do next? Help me out. Huh? I'm going to have to put it in here, right? Last time I did this was like junior camp in, you know, when I was a kid, and we did the archery range thing, something like that. I know I'm not supposed to do this like this, okay? But that's what I'm going to do, right? Now what do I do next? I'm, I, Paul? I, okay, I'm going to have to figure out whether I'm shooting which way, right? So let's say I'm going to go that way. Yeah, everybody's going, go that way, go that way. Bob, Bob, Bob's, got, Bob, Bob's back there. He's got the EMT guy going, hey, you need to get over here right away, man. I did, This looks really bad. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to figure out where I'm going to go, and then at some point, I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to get rid of this now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pull it back, right? And I, I, I do remember this. You don't put your arm here. You keep it out here. I'm going to pull it back, and I'm going to aim it, and then at some point, I'm going to let it go, right? You just saw the process of parenting. You just saw what your job and my job is as a parent, as an adult having impact over these kids that are here. The first thing we've got to do is realize that we're going to have to help them straighten some things out in their lives. We're going to have to figure out where the character flaws are. We're going to have to figure out where the, where the issues are that we need to correct. So when we see them start going this direction, then we're going to have to make sure that we, we put some pressure on to get it bent back in the right way. We're going to have to do some things as far as the arrow to make sure that as they grow up, and then at some point we've got to figure out what direction to head them. See, we're in a culture now that actually looks at we, we actually look at 12-year-olds and say, what do you want to do? Duh. What did you want to do at 12? Oh, I want to do something that will help other people. Really? No, it's all about us. We have to explain to these kids, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's not all about you. Yeah, Rod's going, what? What do you mean? I never heard that. You know? I've taught my wife for years the world revolves around me. No, uh, what do you have to do? You have to say, look, the world doesn't revolve around you. I've got to straighten some things out. I've got to help, and I've got to point that kid in the direction. I've got to figure out what's a good, healthy direction for that kid to go. So when he starts or she starts making friends that are not helpful, I have to step in and go, you know what? Let's set some boundaries here. I know you're not going to like this. 
I have to give them some direction. I have to point them in, in a direction. And at some point, I have, to get, I have to zero in on a target. See, we kind of do this with our kids anymore. We're like, what do you want to do? And, and the kid's going, I don't know. I just want to go to college. Okay. We load the arrow up. We let them go. And then they get out of college, and they're going, I don't know what I want to do. Why? How do we get there? Because somewhere along the line, we haven't helped direct them. And just like it hands, he uses the analogy there, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Let me tell you something. When a warrior has spent all that time on the arrow and he lets that baby go, you better believe he's not just going like this. He's got that thing zeroed in on where he wants it to go, on what's a healthy direction for it to go. And that's exactly what our role is as parents, as adults, in helping kids get into that direction. And so notice this. So eventually you're going to point it in a direction, and then, moms, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're doing that the whole time. Versus moms who do this. Okay, that's my target is the door. Gotcha. And is that not what we have seen? And that doesn't help that child. No, at some point, moms, get this. You've got to let them go. Dads, you have to let your daughter go. Doesn't mean you can't follow her with the shotgun, but you've got to let her go. Why? That's the goal of parenting, is to let go. That's why, in the, in the beginning, by the way, what did, Jesus, what did God say with Adam and Eve? For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was a leaving that had to take place. And here's the thing. This is the tough part about parenting. When you let them go, there's not much you can do to change the course at that point. Because you see, I don't care how well you parent. The reality is, they make choices. And they are responsible for their choices. And you can do everything you can to influence it, but the reality of it is, it's their choices. Those of you who have raised kids who have made bad decisions and who kind of break your heart, let me give you a little bit of comfort this morning. God took Adam and Eve, his children, put them in a perfect world, in a perfect environment, and did everything absolutely right. But there came a point that he had to let them go in the garden. And when he did, Satan came in, and guess what? They looked at everything God offered and said, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. We really don't want that. And ultimately, God was the first broken-hearted parent. Because he did everything perfectly. Pointed him in the right direction, gave him everything he needed, provided for him, helped him, talked to him every day, did everything he could, but they came to a point where they said, sorry, we don't want it. And as a parent, you are not responsible for the choices your kids make. All you're responsible for is whether or not you have taught them the way that God wants you to teach them. I'm not, you know, I'm fortunate. To this point, my kids have made fairly good decisions. That's to their credit, not mine. I guided them, directed them, pointed away, but bottom line is they could have both looked at me and gone, thanks, but no thanks. That's their call, not mine. And you have to be careful because we get this idea that if we do it all right, 
Bingo. We programmed a kid and he, and he comes out right. No. Genesis chapter 3 teaches you that that doesn't work. I'm told that in the Jewish world, um, there's a concept in some Jewish circles in which here's what they do with a child. Once a kid gets to be about teenager, young teenager, they realize at that point there's going to be a power struggle between the parents and the kids. So what they often do is they go to an uncle. And they come to an uncle and they say, look, you know, you're closer in age and we would like you to kind of mentor our child. And they hand off that child, so to speak, to that older uncle or that uncle that's older than the kid. And he does things and the parents continue to be the parents. But then as that kid continues to grow and develop, when he gets to be about 20 or 30 or about 30 or 40, when he gets ready to start in the business, what they do is they come and they find a, a, a godly businessman to mentor that child at that point, that young, young person. Even to the point that that businessman may actually finance his business. And he becomes somebody who can be a, a, a point person and a resource thing. And then as that child develops later in life, in say his 50s or so, they actually goes back to his father, who then starts sharing with him the legacy of his family and the, and the generation thing so that he can carry on the family traditions and legacies and that kind of thing. But all the way along the line, what they're doing is they're helping these kids as they develop. If you're not familiar with the Jewish world, in the Jewish world, every night or every Shabbat, every Sabbath, every Friday night, one of the things that they do is they sit down at a table and they go around the table and the parents, sometimes the, often the dad, but sometimes the dad and the mom, will actually pray over and bless each child each week. So they come to Jimmy and in our house, they come to Jimmy and they put their hands on his shoulder or I would put his hands on my shoulder and say, you know, dear God, I thank you today for my son who is this random child who you have given to us as a gift. And God, I thank you for his randomness. I thank you for making him that way. And I thank you for the choices that I've watched him make this week. And then I would go to Josh and I would say, God, I thank you for Josh. I thank you that he's not a random child. I thank you that he brings some sensibility to our world and some stability. You know, and I, and I would do that. And you think about it for a minute. If you're a Jewish child and you've heard that every single week from your mother or your father, you wonder why Jewish families are as tight as they are. There's something to be learned here. Because what do most kids hear from their parents? All the things they did wrong, not the things they've done right. And it was an important concept to be able to mentor and help that child. So I, I say that to say for us there's some great lessons here. And he and ends it by talking about the idea that his, man, his quiver is full. They will, not put, be, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The idea was just simply this. The children allowed the community go forward because as you had kids there and they grew up, they could protect the city and it worked, it worked for the ultimate goal of the whole community. And that's what he's talking about. So, you know, you have directed them and then they can defend the city. And that was kind of the idea. So a couple ideas for us real quick. First thing is this, God's got to be center. Your life, your business, your marriage. So many of us pigeonhole Religion, Christianity, spirituality. So we do this little thing where, you know, it's like, okay, we do our church thing and then the rest of the week it, we kind of do our own thing. Then you're missing the boat. That's the idea of God's got to be the center of all of it. 
God's got to be the center of what you're doing. In parenting, you come up against a problem, you go to the scriptures. In your business, you come up against a problem, you go to the scriptures. Your marriage, you come up against a problem, you go to the scriptures. You go back to God and what God says in figuring out what you do and how you handle it. Second thing is kind of this idea here of keep it in balance. Guys, you really need to come to, a, to, to an understanding of what is a good father. Kind of like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. You have to ask yourself, what do you want your story to be? What do you want? You're writing a story, the story of your life. What do you want it to say? How do you want it to end? How do you want it to play out? What do you want your kids to say about you? 20, 30, 40 years after they leave home. And then, not only that, but I think the last thing is just this idea that we're all building a legacy we're going to leave. Somebody, at some point, is going to sum up our our lives. Often as a pastor, that's my toughest thing. I take somebody's life of 60, 70, 80, 90 years and put it into four paragraphs. That's their story, that's their life, that's their legacy. What do you want it to be? Ultimately, you'll come to a point where somebody's going to have to look at your life and sum it up to actually get it into a few words, put it on a tombstone. What do you want it to say? Those of you who don't have kids, understand there are 13 kids up here this morning that need aunts and uncles and people to help them and go go together to help raise these kids and direct them in in a right way. My kids were fortunate. My kids had, again, they never got to really see their aunts and uncles, their, their biological aunts and uncles, and grandparents, and that kind of thing. So very, very rarely. But yet, I could easily say, in here, my, my, my kids have got, I don't know how many grandparents. And I don't know how many people have come alongside of us and actually helped parent our kids. How many aunts and uncles and stuff like that? Why? Because everybody has pitched in to help us try to Direct them to ultimately when they make a decision. So I just want to encourage you this morning to really take a look at where you're headed. Those of you that are grandparents, what do you want your story to be? Oh, I want my kids to say I was fun. Really? I I, I think that's kind of shallow. You know, because honestly, I mean, don't, you'll get offended, but I don't care. Uh, we could get the Ronald McDonald clown to be with them every week and be fun. They need, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> unless you're scared of clowns. Yeah, then you really mess the kid up. Uh, you know, but I mean, really, you know, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. Go, by the way, go to the Bible sometime and study what it says about your role as a grandparent. It'll scare you and it'll tick off your children. Okay? Anybody know why I say that? Huh? You don't know why I say that? Actually, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a Bible teaching that you leave your inheritance to your grandchildren, not your children. But we won't go there. Because uh, all, the, all, the, all the children go, ooh, what? Uh, <clears throat> we won't go there. Read what the Bible says, though. Look, we have an incredible responsibility for these kids. 
the future of this place, of our community, of our country, of our world, lies in their hands. We've got to help direct them and shape them and mold them into what God wants to be. So I want to challenge you this week to sit down and really think through what you want, what you want to accomplish with your family, and let God be honored in all of it. Okay? Um, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for this time. And God, we ask for your hand in, in each of us, Lord, as we seek to honor you with our lives. Lord, we have an incredible task in this thing called parenting. Lord, it's hard. Uh, we have a world that's trying to destroy a family. We have all kinds of schedules and activities and things that try to tear it apart. So God, you're going to have to help us to be able to keep the focus centered on you, to keep the focus centered on things that glorify you, to teach our children the right things. And Lord, we're not in it alone, so I pray that we would lean heavily on one another. And that Lord, you would use us to make a difference in the lives of these kids. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for all of it, these things we ask in your name. Amen.